Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're keeping safe and sound. The season is over, but don't worry. The podcast will continue throughout the summer. Although I may at some point just take a week off and do nothing before the new season begins. Just recharge the batteries a bit. I've got no plans to go anywhere on summer holidays. I don't know that I feel necessarily like that's the right thing to do or indeed something that I would like to do at the moment. I'm not sure. Airports and tests and uh, no, not for me this summer. So if we get a spell of reasonably good weather here in Ireland, I might just take a week off. But as much as possible, we will continue with the podcasts uh, as usual on the usual schedule. Arscast Extra on Monday and Arscast regular on Friday. And of course, we'll do extra bits and pieces and live streams and uh, other podcasts for our Patreon members, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. So there is going to be a lot to discuss this summer. That is for sure. There are so many players who could leave. We all want to see players come in. There's a lot to sort out behind the scenes. The playing squad, getting ready for a new season. How are we going to play? I mean, there's going to be a load of transfer business. I wrote about this during the week. I think it is, um, you know, if we refer to the transfer window being opened as silly season, I really think this is going to be the silliest season of all time. Because when it comes to Arsenal, at least, I think pretty much any transfer rumour could sound credible. You could make an argument that we need players in pretty much every position. You could make an argument that pretty much everybody in the squad is up for sale. Well, maybe a handful plus two or something, but you know, there's a lot of players who, even if we don't necessarily want them to leave, could generate money, could generate income. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of clubs out there looking for new players this summer. We're not the only ones. So I do think this is going to be the silliest season of all time. One of the players who could be on his way out, of course, having left on loan last summer, is is Matteo Genduzzi. He spent the summer with, uh, or the season rather, with Hertha Berlin. He's been linked with Marseille. And I, I have this sense that he he could be angling for a link-up once again with Unai Emery. Unai Emery, of course, who won the Europa League during the week with Villarreal. Congratulations to Villarreal. What a great thing it is for a club and for all of us as well. If Manchester United are getting beaten in a final in whatever way it happens, it is still a hilarious thing for pretty much everybody, you know. And I know as as Arsenal fans, our season has been poor. And there are people out there who will say, our season has been so bad, you've got no business. No 
business laughing at another team, but that's not how it works. If you lose the ability to take pleasure in the misery of other football teams and other football fans, start again or go find something new to do because that is... That is just a crucial part of it for me. Anyway, uh, they were beaten. Villarreal won the Europa League. They go into the Champions League next season. And Matteo Genduzzi, well, he had plenty to say. Plenty to say about Villarreal. You know, a team he doesn't play for, by the way, winning the trophy. Of course, he did play for Unai Emery. Unai Emery gave him the kind of chances at Arsenal that... I'm not sure many other coaches would have done, and I'm I'm sure Ginduzi feels very grateful about it. But in a two-tweet storm, he said, What a journey. This football, so smart and elegant. You made the dream of an entire city, of a club, a team, and all of the fans come true. You did it. You know how to win trophies. Hats off, Monsieur Emery. You are so unique. I am honored and proud to have had the opportunity to evolve by your side. Words will never be strong enough to qualify your personality, your benevolence, and your authenticity in human relationships. Which sounds so much like something a real person would say. Your benevolence and your authenticity in human relationships. It's quite the praise, isn't it, for Matteo Ganduzzi? Quite the praise. And obviously he feels very fondly for... For Unai Emery and for Villarreal, a team he doesn't play for. The same Matteo Genduzzi, of course, who, when Arsenal won the FA Cup last summer, was gushing with prey. No, hang on. No. He posted a picture on his Instagram of the sea with the word holidays and the love eyes emoji. I think it's fair to say Matteo Genduzzi will not be playing for Arsenal next season. One of the players that we will more than likely move on. Uh, Already there are all kinds of rumours doing the rounds regarding certain players. We're going to try and keep a spreadsheet on all of them during the summer and just see where it goes. Granit Xhaka being linked with Roma. Hmm. Jose Mourinho, eh? Ganduzi Marseille, as I said. Eddie Nketiah being linked with Brighton. There's also uh, Mavropanos being linked with a, a permanent move to Stuttgart. Hector Bellerin, apparently Royal Betis are looking at him because they need a right back and we also need a right back and they might have a right back that we want. Who knows? It's only just beginning. Remember, the window doesn't open until June the 6th or June the 9th, something like that. And it's open until August 31st. So this is is only just the beginning. It's going to get crazy, crazy. Okay, let's get on with today's show and to sort of look back on the season and not really in a in a very specific way, but talking broadly about what happened, what's going to happen next, what we need to do, what we're going to do without Europe next season, and lots more. I'm delighted to welcome to the show, as always, Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, how was it for you? this season because i think we all know it's it's been one of the strangest seasons for you know all kinds of reasons but as somebody who has for a very significant part of their life spent it watching arsenal inside the stadium whether as a fan or as a as a journalist to be or to experience a season at, at that kind of remove how has it been do you know what it's funny when you put it like that there was a lot of times this season, particularly on those occasions when I was uh, 
fortunate enough, I guess, to be one of the people inside the stadium, but in this weird um, uh, kind of monochrome bubble almost where, you know, you felt like all your senses were dulled compared Mm. to what you think it should be like. And I found myself quite often, I always had this awareness of thinking like, where am I? What's going on? You know, that sort of, you know, sometimes when you have those slight out of body experiences as if you're floating up above what's actually happening and like looking down on it. I've been there in certain circumstances. All right. (laughs) 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 But I, I I would say most of the games at some point or another, I found myself like actually almost like, you know, clicking things Mm. like come back in the room, like realizing that I've not really been paying attention properly. And I think it was just something to do with the whole thing felt so utterly strange. Mm. I'm a bit in awe of how the players and staff kind of got through this season. I mean, quite apart from the fact that it obviously hasn't been a season to look back on particularly fondly for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, The sheer sort of like combination of the strangeness and the grind, the relentlessness of sort of ploughing through this this uh, this version of football, this sort of facsimile, this kind mm. of impression that isn't quite real football, but is obviously very connected. Um, yeah, I think that's how I'll look back on this season as something that that just didn't quite feel right. It felt like like mm. somewhere between, um, you know, living something properly and sort of imagining a version of it that that isn't quite as good. Do you think I, I'm not? I'm not here to make any excuses for anything. And we have talked on this podcast and on the blog, and you've done it as well, just about what's happened this season. So I don't really want to go into the the nuts and bolts of performances and results, and and we'll talk about where we finished and and the the ramifications of that. But do you think you know, as we as fans and and people who watch football and love football have watched on, as you say, this this strange. Um, impression of football, this thing that is football, but not really because we weren't there. Do you think in some ways um, we haven't thought about it from the perspective of the players and the staff as well? Because football for them is, you know, is fans as well. Like they've played their entire lives in full stadiums with people screaming at them for better or worse, for home fans or away fans or whatever it is, that the 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 experience for them must have been weird as well. Yeah, I, I really believe that. And, you know, you can come out with with uh, platitudes and, it, you know, you don't know how real it is when they say, oh, we really want to have fans back and we really miss fans. Well, of course, they're going to say that and they have to say that. But there was something about the way the team played um, against Brighton in that last game when there was fans in the ground uh, it was so striking to me. And I think that was, pro- you know, it may- maybe if you were one of the fans who who were there, but you haven't been to the behind closed doors games or whatever, obviously you, you haven't got that point of comparison, but having sat through some of those other matches and, it, it, and you could just see like this new energy and impulse in the players kind of individually and collectively. Mm. There was like a bit like a light being switched on. Yeah, yeah. And given how sort of dreary a lot of the football has been this season it was very noticeable and was that down to them having those feelings that you get from atmosphere and from somebody other than just yourself being your motivation 
yeah. Arsene Van Gogh used to call it, and it's I, I found this fascinating. But he talks about footballers having different types of motivation. And one of them was what he calls intrinsic motivation, which is the motivation that you have, which is just you. It's what's inside your mm. own head. It's what's inside your own heart and what makes you try and believe and want to do stuff. And then there's external motivation, whether that comes from a manager or teammates or fans yeah. or, you know, wherever all the kind of in- inspiration stroke pressure comes from that is outside of you. And they've had months of missing a lot of that external motivation on a match day. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think that it has, you know, we can argue the toss how much difference it might have made to this game or that game. And, you know, we'll never know, but because everybody was in the same conditions, but I think I have some sympathy for the players that I think last season must've been kind of a little bit harder and more miserable, quite apart from the fact that football uh, was at times garbage and results were crap. Yeah. But putting that to one side, just as an experience. And the other thing I always think about that when we try and think about the players is, I always remember being quite shocked years and years and years ago when Tony Adams was talking about something. And you know, we have this fantasy image of Adams as this great, you know, uh, leader, this colossal figure. And he kept, he talked about like, it's my job. Football's my job. I get in the morning, get up in the morning and I go to work. Mm. And I was like, what? You know, and it was sort of the first time I'd ever really heard a great player talk of it in that kind of mundane way. Mm-hmm. And it interested me because it's just another layer of understanding that what to, you know, I think as fans, we we put a lot of our own ideas onto players or managers or whatever um, and onto the game. And some of it is not necessarily how they feel it either. Yeah, I mean, there is a di- sometimes there's this disconnection between what we think as fans and what the players think and feel themselves. I mean, myself and James talked about it on the on the podcast the other day about the David Luiz celebrations or the celebrations that the players had for him because he was a really popular guy, really popular colleague. But that doesn't connect at all with the fans because we have a completely different experience uh, with him. You know, our our impression of him is very different from theirs. They work with him. They like him. We might have our own issues with how he's performed and what perhaps his signing uh, represented when he came in. That that kind of thing is is a disconnection. Yeah, I, just one observation on that. The the discomfort for me in in that particular scene was not so much about what players or fans or whoever think of David Luiz and his contribution. It was more the way it was presented, which was, oh my God, it felt like classic banana skin sort of territory for me. And the whole kind of post-match Fandango, I don't know if you've discussed this on previous pods, but it it was so odd and excruciating. The first thing that happened I, I'm sure it all came from the right place. You know, one mm. one idea is, okay, get the players out there to do a, if not lap of appreciation, you know, to applaud and the, the fans that are there and receive some yeah, um, reciprocal back thing. and, yeah, you yeah. know, get a bit of reciprocal vibes going in recognition of the end of the season. Uh, but another thing that they wanted to do was uh, commemorate the um, 
members of the Arsenal family, as they called it, who had been lost during this past year. Mm. But what they did was do these two rather different things at exactly the same time. <laughs> so there was an announcement over the PA system where they said, you know, please, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, remain in your seats for the players to come back pitch side, I think was the term. And the players sort of, you know, it was this bit of pause. And in the meantime, while everyone's hanging about, the PA guy goes, and now, ladies and gentlemen, we want to uh, pay our respects and remember members of the Arsenal family been lost in this past year. And please take a look at the big screen uh, for a list of names. And mm. there's <laughs> the, the, the strains of mournful piano music in the background started to come through and the the list of of, of uh, uh, people who had who had passed away were were are like <clears throat> scrolling down like a roll call, mm. and then the players walked out. Exactly then, so there's this mournful piano music and this moment where you feel you should be paying respects mm. to members of the Arsenal family, um, and the players are there, sort of, and people are kind of like, do we clap? Do we not clap? I mean, it was just tremendously surreal. <laughs> Uh, we, of, we need to sign an event manager. I think that's what we're looking <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah, I think somewhere along the line, they didn't have their timings right, let's just say. And then the players were in the centre circle. They were kind of hanging about. It looked a bit like um, school disco, actually. Mm. Uh, a bit awkward, you know, a few jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they said, uh, we'd like, over the PA system, there will be some members of uh, the, the, the playing squad who won't be here next year. We want to thank them all for their service to the club and wish them well, which is great. Mm. But then they just pulled out one guy for a special mention, which was David Louise. And I just, I just thought for those people who will also be leaving, but maybe because it's not been you know mm. notified yet or arranged yet, they didn't get any call out. And I kind of think somehow you either do everyone or you don't do anyone. It yeah. just felt a bit. If yeah, you're like, talking about someone who spent a decade at the club, Hector Bellerin, um, for example, yeah, uh, that, maybe maybe you you know you feel that you want to market, you know, mm. something a bit more special, but it just felt weird to me to say, oh, by the way, one of those guys is David Luiz. Every, you know, give it up for David Luiz, and of course, uh, it just it was just one of those things where you, thought, oh, you kind of didn't know where to look because yeah. it felt slight, slightly awkward and not entirely thought through. Which maybe is symbolic of Arsenal's way at the moment. I think that's fair. You could talk about that applying to some of our transfers and the way we've constructed the squad. And I'm going to ask you about that in a few minutes' time. But I want to ask uh, about Mikel Arteta. And this season for him has obviously been difficult. There have been, I won't say highs, but there have been moments where um, you know, things have come together a bit. Um, there have been moments or periods when it looked really bad. Uh, given the context of this season, the the lack of fans, the pandemic, the way last season ended, his inexperience, everybody has had to, you know, the, the level playing field that everybody has had to deal with these things, with all of these particular issues. But I'm not sure that Every club had a novice manager coming off the back of a legacy manager like Arsene Wenger coming off the back of the structure that was put in place to replace him basically falling apart completely. Again, which is not to make any excuses for what happened on the pitch this season or anything like it. Um, 
But I think we have to look at it in that context. We have to try and understand what's happened at Arsenal. Why are we where we are? And that is part of it for me, that, that what we tried to do after Arsenal didn't work. A, what do you think Mikel Arteta will have learned from this season? And B, do you think that, again, not making excuses, that we don't sometimes pay enough attention to just how much has gone on behind the scenes, the restructuring, the people leaving, the need to rebuild, the squad bloat, the the getting rid of players in an unprecedented way in January, that there have been, and I think, you know, if people could separate the results and the poor performances, which nobody can uh, nobody can get behind, from the very many issues that I think we all understood to be there at Arsenal, like, is that all part of what has been a, a season that if we can, I'm not saying write it off, but we have to put in a, a, a kind of box in its own right and, and look to see where we go from here. That's a very no, long, that's... convoluted question, but you know where I'm coming yeah, from. Yeah, but there's loads there that I think made, makes bags, bags of sense. Um, and it is helpful sometimes to just take that step back and try and look at a bit of a bigger picture. Uh, it's really easy to mm. magnify things and just say, you know, you look at the p- price that was paid by that, you know, those weird formations suddenly imposed on the team in the yeah. semi-final of the Europa League and this, that and the other. But I think um, I think any coach really, there's, I suppose, two strands to fundamentally what's what's going to help you to be able to do a good job. One of which is how good are you? Um, and in Mikel's case, I'd like to think that if that if this season becomes a really important one in his evolution, that a critical element of that is his capacity to self-analyze mm. and to learn. Um, it's having a lot of self-belief in, in your ideas and conviction is is massively important for any coach, but being able to temper that with the ability to listen and learn and self-analyze and work out what works and what doesn't work and take that forward. I think in his stage of his career, I really hope that that's something that he does quite strongly because I think that is something that could be massive for him going forward. Um, But the other aspect is so simply the quality of your players. And... You know, would other managers have got more out of this squad? You know, that's a one of those yeah. nice uh, generic questions we all ask ourselves at times when things don't go well. You know, probably all over the world, people ask that of their clubs and yeah, yeah. what have you. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously a bit unanswerable, but I, I you know, I, I don't think anybody was ever under any illusions, including Mikel Arteta when he came and took the job on, that this was a, you know, a, a really jumbled squad based on a lot of years of some uh, very erratic recruitment. And that's not yet been solved. Uh, you know, that they're on the way, but there's still a bit to go. Um, you know, what well, one thing that will probably dog him a little bit in terms of how he's judged is Willian, mm-hmm. just because that was an element of recruitment that was very much... Um, favoured by Mikel. It was something he prioritised. It was his choice. 
So, you know, sometimes players get foisted on you or you pick up a squad and you can't get rid of this player and you've got to work with them or whatever it might be. Mm. Sometimes you don't have a choice, but Willian, I think, was a choice. Um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out too as a sort of indicator of how Mikel Arteta as a manager might evolve. Mm. Because we don't know if he's going to go or stay. I know there's a lot of rumours at the moment, but, you know... Willian, you it, mean? It, it, William, sorry, yes. Yeah. If if he does if he does go this summer, um, then how does how does Mikel frame that? Chalk it down and to per- experience. Pers- well, exactly. I mean, I kind of think that in a way, I wish that there was a bit more in football of the situation where you try something, it doesn't work. Everybody kind of accepts that and moves on quickly. And mm. We're not very good at that. No, that's true. In general. And Everything... obviously contracts are a big problem yeah. for that. But if things were slightly more simple and, you know, you sign someone with the best intentions, they join with the best intentions, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Everyone have another crack. Yeah. it's It becomes more complicated just because of contracts. But if it wasn't, I mean, I think any of us in any walk of life probably can recognise whether you're... Um, in, in work that, you know, you take a job and you, you can't stand it or your boss drives you crazy or, you you know, or in school or there's teacher that you're never going to get on with and you feel, you know, oppressed by and yeah. or, you know, whether, whether you've got a group of mates and somebody just needles you and there's all sorts of environments where, you know, you, you do stuff and it doesn't work out exactly how you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, being able to kind of escape li- nicely with everybody just kind of shaking hands and moving on is the dream scenario. And it should be a bit easier than it is. I think it's a pity that it's not. It is what, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things. And look, I'm not here to defend the Willian signing or how it's worked out, but I think there is an element of that. It is, you know, sometimes it just does not work, even if the idea wasn't great in the first place. Maybe you didn't expect it to go quite as badly uh, as it did. But like you say, I think the, the, the way you deal with it, you complicate it for yourself because of the deal that you did. You know, you give them a one-year deal with an option. This is not an issue this summer mm. because mm. you just don't take up the option. But mm. when you give someone a three-year deal, this is where I think people have some worries or, or have some worries about learning from mistakes in the past, where you sign players of a certain age and you give them contracts which make it very difficult to move them on. And we can all think of the examples. I don't need to name names or, or anything like that. So, you know, how they deal with that one, how maybe they even deal with the Cedric one, a similar kind of situation. Not quite, but still, here's a guy who's going to be 30 in August, who's got three years left on his contract. He's not playing. You know, there are countless examples of this from an Arsenal perspective where you know, as a club, you feel like, well, surely we have to learn our lesson now. Surely we have to learn our lesson now. And we don't seem to learn our lesson. How many times do we need to be taught it? We're, we're the opposite of that dog. You know, the dog that goes over to get the snack and steps on the thing and gets electrocuted. And after a couple, he goes, well, fuck that. I'm not going near that. We just keep going and keep getting electrocuted. So, you know. But is that, is that not partly because there's been so much change? If we had a more joined up uh, and a, a more stable sure. behind the scenes vibe, yeah. then maybe it would be easier. But you feel like every summer or every window is a bit of catch up, a bit of desperation. 
Um, and, and a dream scenario is that Arsenal go into each window in a kind of solid place with with firm ideas and mm. can act accordingly. Well, but it's been so chaotic for so many years sure. on that front. Well, is that, this, uh, you know, that's the price that Arsenal are paying. Is this not the summer? Like, as much as people will have reservations about Mikel Arteta after this season, I understand why. And as much as I think Edu has a lot to prove in his role as technical director, I think there have been some encouraging signs perhaps in that, you know, we brought in Martin Odegaard in January, which is a great signing to do that level of player in January out of the blue, kind of, you know, that's a really good piece of business. They got Balagoon tied down to a new contract when it looked as if he was going to go somewhere else. So there have been a few little encouraging signs. So is that what this summer is about in that, like the end of the Wenger era was chasing top four and Emery came in and the idea was to, to chase top four again, quick fixes to get us back to where we wanted to be. And now this summer really is about taking stock. It's about saying, okay, well, all of this, all of the stuff that we have done to get ourselves back to where we want to be has not worked. It's time for a new strategy. It's time for some consistency, some continuity in terms of decision makers and decision making at the club when it comes to recruitment, all of that kind of stuff. Is that not the opportunity, if you want to call it that, that this summer presents to the people who are in charge of running things uh, at a football level that they have it seems anyway, from what Mikel Arteta says, the backing of the owners, he, f- he seems to feel very assured that he's got that kind of backing, whether that's uh, just in the, the case of his job, but, but also what the club can do to rebuild the squad. It sounds like he feels relatively confident in that regard. So, you know, if, if there is something to be... Um, it, the silver lining to the cloud of this season might be that they have been given time and space to put in place a plan. Now it's down to them to execute the plan and we can sit here at the start of next season and decide or speculate on how successful it was. But is that is that a positive? Is that something we can look at and say, if you are going to learn lessons, the continuous change and, and everything else is, is not going to help you do that? That's fine if they're absolutely sure that what they've got now is right. Yeah, rather sure. than yet another one of the experiments that may be ripped up at some point. Mm. And I still feel that when you look at recruitment, um, you know, as you, as you said, said you met yourself, Edu still has a lot to prove. Mm. Um, and Richard Garlic has just come in. Um, the scouting department r- remains a slightly mysterious, uh, ever-changing <laughs> beast. Um <laughs> the data is, you know, the agents, you know, all those kind of aspects, you know, is it, is it all neatly tied together? Is there joined up thinking, is everyone Mm. on the same page? Is there a proper plan? I don't know. Um, If there is, if, if the, if the owners and the people at the top who uh, are running the club feel confident that the structure is, is the correct one now, then great, go for it. But if it isn't, Mm. maybe now's a good time to, have a quick look at those structures and maybe just make one last check and balance and say, is this what we want? Are we happy? Mm-hmm. If it's an, a resounding yes, fine. If there's any doubt, then, you know, th- this is an opportunity to uh, have an, you know, if, if the owners are, are seriously going to provide some backing, which as you say, Arteta is, is really confident about, um, 
it's got to be used and not wasted because mm. there has been wastage. And yeah. I think if the Cronkies take a look at the, the money that has been made available for transfers in recent years, they ought to be having a look and thinking, why is this, uh, you know, why have, is this outlay mm. leading to a slide? What's going wrong and how can we get it right? How can, we, how can it be better? Are you in any way encouraged by, you know, last summer they brought in Tim Lewis to to be part of the board, um, an Arsenal fan, but a lawyer as well, who was looking at things behind the scenes to, to, to figure out, you know, perhaps why did it all fall apart so quickly mm-hmm. when uh, when That's we went cool, down but everything. I, but what, also Richard Garlick, who is mm-hmm. somebody who has plenty of, of football experience. That is something that I think a lot of people have felt there is a gap at board level, mm. at, at that that sort of executive level. I don't think we can call no. it the board anymore, but at that executive yeah, yeah. level, who are the decision makers? Who's got the expertise? Who can feedback? Who can challenge? You know, I think you need to to produce a, a kind of a challenging environment in a way. Um, not, not, not that everybody has to disagree with everything, but there needs to be uh, certainly people who can say, for example, bringing it back to Willian, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. That mm. is a bad yeah. idea. But do you think? Do you think Tim Lewis or Richard Garlic can do that? Because I'm not sure. And if they can't, then maybe there's space for another yeah. football experience person at that executive level who can challenge uh, mm. those those ideas. I mean, a bit I- of oversight. I'd love to see. Uh, and I've no idea who that person might be, but um, uh, an integration of a little bit more football expertise and, uh, you know, maybe with a little bit of Arsenal heartbeat thrown in, mm. who has the capability of just, you know, adding another voice and another pair of eyes to these decisions that are going to be about, you know, the future of the football team on the pitch. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Anything what you happens. can do to yeah, yeah. every every transfer is a gamble, and we, you know, for all we know, Willian could have come in and instantly been brilliant and made a difference and played much more like the guy who was at, at Chelsea mm. and helped the team a lot more. It didn't happen. There's always risk, but you've got to do everything possible to minimise those risks. Yeah. And look, if you're the Cronkies looking at the outlay, if you've got Tim Lewis there to provide that kind of oversight is part of the way that you can um, feed back on that saying, well, look, this is not the best way to expend those kind of resources. Like, you know, uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens this summer. But, you know, you see stories, and I know it's been poo-pooed and it's probably not going to happen, but but someone like Ryan Bertrand, who you think, okay, even if that's a player the manager wanted, somebody could say that is not the way to use those resources. Look at all the players that exist in all the world, could you not find somebody a better with more upside, with more potential, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You don't necessarily. Good, need, huh? Yeah, it sounds good. So you hope that those kind of things can, can happen. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of, um, I do think that this summer's, uh, we seem to say this every summer, but it does <laughs> feel quite fascinating because I think back at, um, you know, it's easy to, to, to be negative and look at downsides and stuff, but there's lots of good. There's lots of good young players, mm. great young players, 
uh, at the club. Um, and when you have great young players, the, the clever thing, when you think about Ajax when they reached the Champions League a couple, uh, couple of years ago um, and had that great run, and the, what, 80% of that team had come through their academy or mm. something like that or, or, or had been recruited very young from other Dutch clubs. And they were really careful and clever about who they handpicked to go alongside them in key positions. Mm. And they ended up bringing in Danny Blint, who was, you know, much older uh, with Ajax roots uh, to play at the back. And he was a fantastic influence on, on the young defenders around him um, with a lot of experience and just slotted straight in and did all the right things. And then they brought in um, Tadic mm. to play as a sort of playmaker. And uh, he just... He just seemed the perfect fit for that role. You know, they, you know, whatever they did in terms of their scouting, and you know, I'm sure they probably could have picked a dozen different types of people for that situation. But the guy that they got was the man for that moment, mm. and he had a, a, a huge impact on the team, on the squad, on the atmosphere, on everything. Um, and and it was like uh, the recipe was just delicious, you know. For Ajax, and in a way, if Arsenal are super smart, it's about using the resources they've got to put the right people around the great young players that are there, mm. and try and construct something that just takes off. Because you know things can change so fast in football in, in both directions, and you know you think back to George Graham first coming in, you know bit like Arteta, a strong-willed, single-minded, quite stubborn guy with his own ideas. And it, it didn't take him long to look around the dressing room and he thought, I've got these young guys here who are special, but I tell you what, the older ones are pissing me off. Yeah. <laughs> um, he didn't, in different words. But Not too he, far they off, were swanning around, you know, uh, it, was a bit, it was a bit too casual, a bit too easy. And he sort of systematically removed a lot of them. Not all of them. Mm. You know, he was very specific about the ones who stuck around, like David O'Leary, like Paul Davis. Uh, but a lot uh, very quickly were moved moved on or allowed to leave or, or whatever. Mm. And, you know, the kind of person he brought in instead, we all know about, you know, Lee Dix and Steve Bold, Alan Smith, this, you know, immense Nigel Winterbone. Mm. Immense, immense signings, all of which happen to be brilliant, cheap, uh, hungry. You can't always do that. But as a kind of idea, if Arsenal are brave enough to be busy enough and take, you know, everybody's done that thing where they've got a list of the players and you kind of tick the ones you want to keep and you put a line through the ones that you maybe think it's time to change from. A lot of lines. <laughs> um, yeah, but... You know, it's hard to do, but yeah. maybe in the same way that, again, one of the things that happened last season that I would credit the club for is actually dealing with, you know, the Ozil Mustafi situation of players who... Needed were, to be you know, somewhere else. Yeah, you said that very diplomatically. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, it, it's taking that and it's not easy to do that because it costs you money. Um, it must be very annoying to recognise that 
the only way to make certain problems ease off is to pay for them. Mm. But it might be part of the use of whatever funds are made available this season to sort out a few of those, a few more of those problems to enable a freshness mm. that Arsenal needs to really give the core of the youngsters and you know the, the 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 players who can regard this season individually as one they've done well in even if a you know team hasn't had its best time give them that platform give them the the, the tools around them that that they can really you know start taking in it on another level next yeah, season that's so interesting because you know if i think about what what makes me happy about this team it is smith row it's saka it's Tierney, it's Martinelli, it is the the potential that these young players have, even if you think about someone like Joe Willock who could come back and we don't quite know what's going to happen with him. If you bring in Odegaard, which I think Mikel Arteta would like to do, uh, he'd like to bring him in, um, whether it can happen or not, especially given what's happened with Real Madrid now uh, and Zidane leaving, we'll, we'll wait and see, but he's only 22. But, but one of the things Arteta has stressed quite often this season is the need to to balance the the youth with experience and i i do have some questions about that whether it's nest like you don't have to have a 32 year old just because you have a 20 year old you know experience can be 25 26 as well mm. so it's how far you push that and what what profile of signing the club are going to target this summer you know because those young players that i mentioned are clearly what represents the best chance of Arsenal having a, a positive future. You think about William Saliba, who's only 20, whether he's going to get a chance or not, we'll wait and see. Gabriel, as a defender, is only 23, still very young in the life of, of a centre-half. And you've got some players around them um, you know, who do have experience to, to a certain level. So it is going to be very interesting to see what profile of player we bring in. Because if you bring in a 22-year-old right-back, brilliant. I'm all I'm on board with that. I think we need to bring in a right back. If you bring in a central midfield field player who's 24, 25, brilliant. I'm all on board with that. A young striker maybe to take up some of the slack if Lacazette goes, brilliant. But you are losing nominally your the experience as valuable as it is one way or the other of Louise, of Willian, of Cedric, of Lacazette, of maybe Xhaka, something like that, you know. So it is going to be interesting to see what kind of balance he finds and how much he feels those young players are ready to take on the responsibility. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. All right. Let me ask you about Europe and the lack of Europe next season where exactly do you how does that sit with you you know because uh, for if you want to look at it with your glass half full it means that we get to train all week we don't have fatigue we don't travel we're not distracted by anything when we prepare for premier league games we've seen other teams do it in the past liverpool for example almost uh, won the title when they had a season without Europe. Chelsea won the title when they finished outside of Europe and were able to concentrate fully on that. West Ham this season, you know, it, you can see that they had a, uh, an advantage in terms of fatigue, lack of injuries, those kind of things. So there's your glass half full scenario. Glass half empty scenario is it damages your reputation, your stature, your finances, your attractiveness as a destination because... Good players want to play in Europe. 
whether it's the Europa League or whether it's the Champions League. I'm not sure good players particularly <laughs> want to play in the UEFA Conference League, but that's a different uh, situation entirely. So how do you view this season? Is it Does it tie back into what we were talking about earlier, about how how it provides you with an opportunity to implement a plan in a way where you, you're no longer just about there like, oh, we're so close to top four, even though it was only, what, six points or seven points at the end of the season, which feels ridiculous, but that's that's what the table says. And apparently the table never lies. That's what they say. So mm-hmm. where do you, where do you, how do you feel about the fact that for the first time in a very long time, mm-hmm. Arsenal are not going to be in Europe next season? I've got mixed feelings about it, really. Uh, I think somewhat selfishly, I, I like having a couple games a week. I like having Mm. a midweek game as part of my routine, Mm -hmm. as part of my uh, hours spent thinking about Arsenal during the week. I think it punctuates it a lot better if you've got, you know, you're just getting over the weekend game, you mull over that for a bit, and then you're preparing for your midweek game and the cycle goes on. Whereas I think if you've had a Saturday or Sunday game and then you haven't got another game for a week, in your kind of like Arsenal supporting head, I think too much other stuff. Might, to think I think about. we might miss it a bit, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, that you know, I think a lot of people who are going, nah, I don't want to be in that Eurovision crap. Um, <laughs> Eurovision crap. <laughs> Arsenal, I mean, also, if we were, yeah, yeah, exactly. If we were allowed to travel, and you know, the world becomes easier there's a bit of me that would absolutely love to go to some obscure, you know, mm. Kazakhstan fourth place team or whatever it might be. Um, and have some adventures because that's for some of the best. <laughs> oh, it's, that's as, as good as it yeah, gets yeah. sometimes. The, but I absolutely appreciate that it's, it might be what Arsenal needs right now in this period of trying to recover from, you know, one of the one of the most uninspiring uh, and difficult seasons. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's far short of the standards that that the club hopes to be at. Mm. So, if having a season out enables, if that work at the training ground really really helps, then great. If 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 the season to come is not broadly different in terms of domestic performances and results to last season, if this is where Arsenal are now, mm. with or without Europe, then I think it's going to feel like quite a long and painful season well, I mean, as well. Yeah. I also like, I love the fact that we get to see some of the younger players. And I, I mean, Balogun and Aziz in particular are the next two that I'm excited. I'm impatient mm. to see them have some chances and I'm struggling to see where they get those chances. Um, you know, the chances that were given to Saka and em- Emile Smith-Rowe and became, and Joe Willock, and became fundamental parts of their evolution. Yeah. That road is closed off this season and that's slightly frustrating because it probably makes it more likely that they, you know, may- maybe those guys have a loan mm-hmm. instead of do their developing in-house. Yeah, I mean, you're right to talk about those guys, Willock, Smith-Rowe, Nelson, um, uh, Maitland-Niles, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, who really were blooded uh, significantly during the Europa League 
group stages. So there is that, there is that element of it. But when you don't have Europe, you don't need a squad uh, as big. Is that not the reality that we have to face up to that, you know, as much as we want to see Aziz and, and Balagoon make their breakthrough, it is difficult when there's more pre- – is there – I think there is maybe more pressure on the manager to produce week in, week out, so it becomes more difficult to take risks with young players, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, it looks that way. So, yeah, you're probably right. Again, it, it'll be busy to create that smaller squad mm. because – the squad's been big for a while and they're yeah. slowly trying to prune it. Um, and for whatever th- things that might excite them about who they might bring in, they really have a dear need to uh, do quite a lot of business on the outgoings, whether that's loans or whether that's sales. Um, there's a lot, mm. a lot, a lot, a lot on the on the desks of, of Edu and Richard Garlic at the moment. But, you know, it's a funny one because this summer, if they prepared, goes back to sort of what I was saying before about having to sort of pay for mm. correcting your squad, if you like, sometimes. But this is also, if, if Arsenal somehow, if the Cronkies can be persuaded to genuinely give the kind of backing that uh, is needed, let's just say, um, I think there are also some bargains to be had this summer. Because if you have got a bit of extra cash sloshing around somehow yeah. that, you know, due to some generosity, wherever you can find it. Um, there will be a lot of clubs in dear need. For sure. Dear need. So I think that, you know, being smart and streetwise, thinking it all through, looking at all the available options, but they're going to be so busy, my God. You know, you just, I'm curious to see what the squad will look like. Yeah. Come the first game of next season, because... You know, if if the window is nightmarishly, fiendishly difficult, it could look quite similar to the one we have now. A lot of a lot of those players with the lines through it on people's lists might not be going anywhere. Yeah, we um, might want them to go somewhere, but there may not be <laughs> takers. Or yeah, I mean, it depends how how uh, the word ruthless Mikel Arteta used a couple of weeks ago. You know, that might that might have to apply to our own finances in a way. Mm-hmm. That if you genuinely want to get rid of a player or you genuinely want to make space in the squad or you mm. think this player is no longer um, part of your plans, you may well have to incentivize their departure. That might also that might be in terms of what you accept for them as a fee from a buying club, um, but also what you might have to sort of um, put in their suitcase on the way out, not just a golden clock, but, you know, a few gold bars as well. <laughs> what a job, huh? Yeah. Well, we'll see what they do. It's uh, it's going to be a busy summer for Edu and for Mikel Arteta and for Richard Garlic and for the rest of them. So uh, we'll wait and see how it all goes. For now, uh, as ever, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. And we'll catch up during the summer and see how it's going. Will we have time report somewhere along the way? Nice one. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers, Amy. Happy summer, everyone. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thank you very much indeed to Amy. You can find her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71. And of course, she writes about Arsenal stuff and more in The Athletic. So that's really that for this particular episode. There is no game this weekend, nothing to preview, no injury news or anything like that. There is, of course, the Champions League final on Saturday. Whether I can be arsed watching it or not, uh, that remains to be seen. I quite enjoyed not watching the Europa League final and the result that I wanted happening. So maybe that'll happen with this one. I feel a bit like I'm all footballed out, you know, and we do have the European Championships coming up as well. So maybe, maybe just a couple of weeks without football will, uh, will recharge my batteries a little bit. But look, we'll see. Maybe we'll talk about it on Monday in the Arsecast Extra, which will be happening as always throughout the summer. James and I will be here. We'll be talking about, I don't know, stuff and nonsense and maybe some Arsenal and taking your questions as we usually do. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Apparently, apparently the uh, forecast here in Ireland for the weekend is for the temperature to be not cold. I'm not going to say it's going to be super warm, but not cold. So who knows? There may be scope to, you know, take the barbecue out and sit in the back garden a bit and relax. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever's going on with your weather, I hope you have a happy, safe and peaceful weekend. So until Monday, thanks for being here as always, and we will catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together to show your appreciation for David Lewis, whose time at the club is is coming to an end. Granted, it's only been one week of pre-season, but he's decided to go somewhere else. But 
here at the football club he's made such an impact we're going to we're going to have a statue for him and uh, actually we're going to name the West Stand the David Lewis Stand so that's that's exciting anyway ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together for David Lewis <coughs> has anyone seen David what He's gone and joined another club because they're going to name the entire stadium after him. Well, can't think of anyone who deserves it more. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 